Cool. Well, uh, we're starting a new series today. You ready for one? Who's sick of the vision series? No? <laughs> You're not going to... Oh, sorry, I shouldn't do that to you because you just don't know what to say when a preacher says that. It's like, yeah, no, it was horrible. I'm glad you've moved on. You don't know what to say. Um, but we've, we've been in this season where we've talked about vision and I've tried to make it, uh, I guess, the principles of vision, what vision does for you, how vision moves you, how vision rearranges your priorities, how vision sort of pulls you through into your future and how I believe God wants to give each one of us a vision for our lives, vision that helps us overcome maybe current uh, problems or containments. It motivates us, it excites us, it causes us to focus our effort and break through and go forward. And everywhere in Scripture, you see how God used vision to move people uh, in divine purpose to make huge change in the world. And so that's what the vision series was about. And who found it inspiring? Who came out of it with a little bit of a sense of vision, a bit of a, I want to dream bigger, I want to dream again? Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Um, well, the good news is, is that our new series is sort of complementary to that. So we're not moving totally away from vision. And my new series is going to revolve around a character, one of my favourite Bible characters of all time. Now, I know that I say that about everyone in the Bible, but honestly, Nehemiah really is. Nehemiah is a small book. It's often confused with the minor prophets, but it's actually a historical book in the Old Testament. And, uh, and it begins, the story opens for us, will open as we hit this series, in the, uh, the capital of then Persia, which was uh, Susha, a citadel. And, uh, and this interesting character who's working in the king's court and we're going to look at him and, and, and I guess get some lessons on vision in action. We're going to literally watch someone do the principles that we've been sort of discovering in this last season. What does it look like in real life when someone really gets vision and they begin to move in heavenly vision? What can be achieved and what does that look like? What are the faith steps? What are the obstacles? What are the things that can, you know, threaten your vision? So that's where we're headed. And Nehemiah is an interesting character. You know, it's interesting how we, we often fail to comprehend and it's hard to comprehend the context of someone's life in the scripture. We're talking 444 years before Christ, four and a half centuries before the time of Jesus and what his life and his understanding of the world would have been. But Nehemiah is the, basically the offspring and the next generation of people who many generations before had been taken captive and exported. Basically, what, what we called in the 1990s, I'm not sure what the word is now, but what was termed ethnic cleansing. He is one of the kids of people who had been captured, a, a nation overrun by an enemy nation, and exported as a slave to Babylon. He's one of the slaves kids. This is Nehemiah. And, uh, and sometimes I think we can fail to comprehend the impact of that. There were three major catastrophic events that happened uh, to Israel. And uh, first the Assyrian Empire came in and it took the northern part of the kingdom and it 
It, you know, it, it basically, again, it was a war and people were killed and people were taken as slaves. The southern kingdom held out and then uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon rose up. He swallowed up the Assyrian Empire and kept going and took the southern kingdom and they exported people in three waves. There were three major purgings where people were taken away. And then eventually the Babylonian Empire is swallowed up by the Persian Empire. There's a theme emerging here, right? There's a, this is what the empires of the world do. They swallow one another up. And Israel is sort of, in a sense, the people, God's people are in the belly of the beast, literally. And so they get swallowed up by the Persian kingdom. But once the Persian kingdom establishes its rule, uh, they find that the Persian, uh, Persians are far more open to religious things, far more open to people letting them worship or to letting people worship their own God. And the Persian kings begin to issue decrees to allow people to return and rebuild the nation. Probably there was a, quite a monetary or quite a, uh, you know, a political sense to this as well. It's like, why would we leave the nation destroyed? Why don't we send the people back? They're a few generations removed. They can go back. They'll be fairly innocuous. And let's let them just uh, get this thing back on the road. Let's get this show back on the road and make this a nation again. So that's the thinking. And Nehemiah uh, is just before the third wave. He will actually lead the third wave of returns. But it is 60 years since the people began to return. And we're talking 30,000 people at a time, those kind of numbers that have been sent back to rebuild the nation. And that's where we pick up the story. He's working in the king's court. It's 444 BC. And we want to look at vision in action. Are you excited for it? Now, this is going to be a bit of a, it's going to be an intro to the next few weeks. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get momentum. Stick with me. Oh, by the way, are we allowed to read the Bible in church? Yes. Yeah. That's good because we're going to read a whole chapter today. A whole chapter. All 11 verses. Okay, here we go. Don't laugh. They're long verses, see? They're long verses. Okay. Uh, and so vision and action, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I'm just going to break it down a little bit. Then I'm going to make some observations and some thoughts, some points. And then I'm going to ask us some questions, okay, about our own lives. So verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem and this is uh this is obviously it's uh it's Nehemiah's brother whether that's blood brother or someone that he identified with very very closely as one of his larger group of brethren we're not probably really sure but Hanani comes back and he's been to investigate what's going on in the old nation. He's returned to go, well, I wonder how the people are doing. We've sent back a lot of people and it's 60 years later. So surely things are starting to improve. It's obvious that Nehemiah's maybe expecting a bit of a good report, but instead, when he questions them about it, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. 
And so this is not the picture that Nehemiah is probably expecting. I mean, after 60 years, he's thinking they've probably got the thing up and running again and I'm excited to hear what's going on. Uh, People had returned, as I said, the previous waves, they'd reinstituted worship. There was a priest called Ezra, which is the previous book in our Bible to this. In the Jewish Bible, there's still one book, Ezra Nehemiah. Um, But they've already returned. Another guy called Zerubbabel, he'd already been back. They've established a certain amount of order. They've re-established worship. And I'm sure that Nehemiah is just expecting something great to be happening. But it's not. And he hears this report that the city... The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. In other words, it's still vulnerable. They're talking about Jerusalem. This is the capital city. This is probably where most of the bulk of the people went to restart again, back to the holy city. And yet the picture is anything but encouraging. Walls broken down, vulnerable. uh, The the gates are, are burned with fire, which basically meant they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to attack. Any raider, any gang that wanted to come through could basically rape, pillage and take slaves, do whatever they wanted. And so the people are in great distress because the, the, the boundaries or the natural protective walls around their society are still in disrepair. And you look at a story like this and you could say, well, what has that to do with us? And I think it's got a lot to do with us if you want to talk about a vulnerable society. If you want to talk about a society, if you want to talk about us as a people, right now in 2021, it still speaks directly to our hearts. If we're discerning enough to understand that just because we've had a society now that for a number of decades has championed taking every boundary off, do what feels good, do what feels right to you, be who you want to be. And now we're starting to feel and sense the angst and the pain and the vulnerability that has come because our walls are broken down and our gates, those established ways of doing things and ways of walking, have been burned with fire. And all of a sudden, you know, people I think in our society, and this might not be all of us, I would like to think that if you're a Christ follower in this place, God has brought a certain amount of stability and security to your life. But I tell you what, you don't have to mix for too long out in our broader society to know that a lot of people are feeling a pinch and they don't even know really where it's coming from. They're not even sure what's happened because we're all just trying to live our best life. We're all just trying to do our thing. We're all just trying to get on with it. But my goodness, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of things happening that just shouldn't happen in our society. And that's where this story begins to make sense to us. God is calling his people to be people that will be moved by the plight of a society with walls broken down, with gates burned with fire. You know, I've I've talked about we all need vision. I mean, we we all need vision. We need vision for dinner tonight. Come on, you you don't want Cracker Jack again. You, you, You don't want reheated whatever again, surely. You need a vision for your dinner. You need a vision for, uh, for your, your front garden. Otherwise, your neighbours are going to be upset with you because you're the ugly place in the street. But, but God wants to put something that's beyond that, something of heavenly vision, something that moves us and motivates us to hunger with all our hearts that our lives would make a difference in bringing restoration and healing and security to others. 
Jesus put it this way, you will be salt and light, a preserving factor and you, your lives will give off light. So I want to speak about heavenly vision. You know, we've talked a lot about our vision and I really want to drill down on heavenly vision in this. Um, and so verse four, let's keep going. So when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I, I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is so moved by the plight of others. He's moved by the issues of his countrymen. He has compassion on the state of his nation. And, and I love this. You know, the fact is, Nehemiah didn't have to be moved by this. It wasn't his issue. He was a child. It had all happened generations before him. And yet somehow he's moved by the plight of his nation. And I'll drill down on that in a few verses' time. Then verse 5. This is his prayer. Then I, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant or hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. So he's talking about the nation, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest or farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Now, I want us to take note of that language. He, as far as I know, he's in the room by himself. But he's actually taken on the sins of the nation, the burden of the nation, and he's praying as if he's praying with the whole nation before God. And I'll return to that thought in a few moments. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. And then he qualifies who this man was and he qualifies his position in the king's court. I was cupbearer to the king. Now that is a position. In these days, the cupbearer to the king didn't just pour the wine or the drink. He probably drank it first to make sure no one was poisoning the king. In other words, he was obviously a man of integrity. He'd been selected for that. He'd been trained for the king's court. And he has this incredibly trusted position of literally, how would you like a trusted position like that? I get to screen the poison. And we don't have a laboratory. So my belly is the laboratory. We're going to work out whether it's poison or not. So here's Nehemiah in this position. And I want to run through some things that show us about vision and I think in a sense should encourage us that vision is possible for each and every one of us. Okay, so the first thing I love about Nehemiah, it says in verse 4, when he hears the plight of his nation, 
and it's all stuff before his time. I sat down and I wept. It broke his heart. You know, we talk about vision being a picture of a preferred tomorrow. And I know for some of you, you've been really frustrated with that because you're like, I'm not visual. I'm not creative. I mean, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a dreamer. And what I love about this is if you are prepared to not just fritter over need, to not just sort of, I put that in the too hard basket. If you're prepared to be moved by need, if you're prepared to actually see the issues, I tell you, if you can see problems, you can get vision. Because that's what this is. He's, he's, you know, and I think his, his brother paints a very vibrant picture. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The people are in distress. And he captures this in his heart and he sees what should not be. And of course, conversely, when you see what should not be, you have to see what should be. And some of us might write it off and it's a bit of an excuse. It's a bit like, well, I'm not real visionary. I'm not much of a dreamer. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not visual in that sense. I'm not creative. You don't need to be. You just need to recognise what the problem is. And the fact is, we all know what our problems are, don't we? Well, we don't know all of them, and that is the problem. The problem is we don't know what we don't know, in one sense. But if I was to say to you, what's the thing that's holding you back most from life right now? I guarantee all of us would be able to do a top three list. Top three restrictions. And I just want to encourage you, if you can see the barrier, you can see vision through it. It doesn't mean that the problem will disappear. What it will give you is a plan or a strategy to move forward in it, into a preferred tomorrow. So here he is. He's moved by compassion. I love this. You know, when you look at it, Jesus is a great example of this. Have you ever read where Jesus moved with compassion, healed their sick? And often it's in the context where his disciples are like, come on, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving. But Jesus stops, moved with compassion. He fed them because they were hungry, moved with compassion. He healed them. Jesus could see things that no one else could see simply because he was prepared to be moved by the needs around him. What about us? What need do we perceive in our circle of influence, in our world, in lives of people around us, that God might want to use us to bring life to. You want to get vision? Well, see your challenges. You want to get vision for your marriage? See the challenge. Articulate it. You want to get vision for your finances? See the problem. Articulate it. Get a vision beyond it. You want, you want to, you've got friendships or whatever that are you know, either not healthy for you or that have run into difficult ground? Well, See the problem clearly for what it is and you'll begin to see how to move through it and how to move into a preferred tomorrow. Second thought is verse four. Come on, I'm preaching reasonably well, but verse four, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is the one we don't want to hear about, especially about Christmas time. Fast and pray. We don't talk a lot about fasting and prayer, do we? Haven't for a few years. You know, the interesting thing is Prayer releases vision. 
without a doubt. Look, we saw this when we did the vision series and we were just looking at principles. Abraham, remember Abraham? God speaks to him, fills his heart, paints a picture in the sky, literally, for him. He begins to move, uh, move by heavenly vision. He's moving towards the promise that God's given him. But everywhere substantial that he stops, he builds an altar. In other words, he stops and he seeks God, he worships, he prays and he keeps God at the centre of what he's doing. And it's one thing to have a vision for your front garden, but when you get a vision that's heavenly, that God puts in your heart to be part of rebuilding the broken and burnt walls of a society, then that's something that you want to keep front and centre, Jesus at the centre of, because that's where the life is, that's where the power is, that's where the strategy is, that's where the faith to move forward in spite of the circumstances is is in a place of prayer and and obviously he's praying and he's fasting you know giving up food we've got soft fasts nowadays like electronic ones you know I'm going to give up Facebook for three days and we laugh at that but I tell you what if you use a lot of Facebook try it for three days and you'll just see how much time you've got to spend with God yeah Yeah. I was just reading my journaling actually just two nights ago I journaled on um where if you, you remember the story where the, the people come and they accuse Jesus, they say, John, John the Baptist's disciples, they fast. The, the Pharisees, they fast. Your disciples don't fast. What's the deal? And if you remember what Jesus said was, hey, while the bridegroom's at a wedding, do the guests, do his friends fast? But there is coming a day. In other words, hey, while I'm here, this is a party. But there comes a day when I won't be. That's when they'll fast. And I guess God spoke to my heart. And it's like, man, if at any point you feel like Jesus has moved from the centre, if you feel like the presence of Christ in your life has somehow diminished, it just might be time to hit your knees with some good old-fashioned prayer and fasting and bring Jesus right back to the centre of things again. That's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. It's like I am standing in the presence of a guy who can do something about this, but I'm just the lowly cupbearer. I might have a good character, but I'm expendable. How can I go to the king? And he begins to pray and fast. God, what should I do? Come on, some of us are facing impasses that, you know, it's stop worrying about it. Start praying about it. And if you've already been praying about it, well then, honestly, hit your knees and, uh, and leave your dinner behind. And begin to pray and seek God and bring him right into the centre of the situation. So I love, this is vision and action. I see a need. I see how it should be. I'm beginning to fast, pray, commit it. So prayer releases vision. Uh, verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your service Moses, servant Moses. Vision is anchored on promise. As I said, this is, if we're talking about heavenly vision, not just our front yard, <laughs> if we're talking about moving in step with God, then we actually need to anchor it on a promise from God. And here Nehemiah begins to remind God of his word, not because God needed reminding of his word. Who thinks God forgot what he said? God doesn't forget what he says, but we do. When we remind God of his word, that is about us remembering what God said. We remind God, and as we remind God, we remind ourselves. Look, this is the power of journaling. I don't know how anyone, honestly, as a, as a preacher, I don't know how I survived before I learned to journal. 
Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't you want God speaking to your heart, confirming the promise? I mean, heavenly vision that's really going to move things, going to change things, is based on a sense of a word of God. I feel like God is speaking to my heart. And so we, we don't, you know, we don't, Remind God of his word because he needs it. We don't journal because God needs us to read our Bibles. Do you think God's going to fall off the throne if you don't read your Bible? But you could fall off the path really easily. You know what I mean? We, we do that for us, not for him. And here's Nehemiah reminding God of his word. Come on, if we return to you with our hearts, you said you would do something amazing in our generation. And he's reminding God, of that, And then verse uh, 6 and then verse 11. I want to bring both these together. I want to look at his prayer. He says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then verse 11, I was cupbearer to the king. And my last thought is courage leads to intersection, intercession and action. You know, as I said, these weren't Nehemiah's problems. And I think for many of us here today, we could maybe look at the state of our society in some places, and I don't want to totally trash it. Australia's a great place to live. Yeah. Best place in the world from what I can see, yeah. especially in this season. Yeah. Um, but we do know there's issues. We do know there's hurt and pain. For Nehemiah, we, if, we could easily say, look, I didn't cause those problems. They were generational. I'm not contributing to those problems. I live differently. We could easily see that, say that. But I think it's incredible that Nehemiah doesn't. Nehemiah takes on the sins that he never committed as if they're his own. And then he prays on behalf of the people that he's never met as if they're in the room with him. This is sort of what we call intercession. You know, intercession's an old term. Who's heard that word? It used to be connected to prayer all the time, which is a real problem because it gave us a wrong perspective of that word. Uh, intercession simply means to pass between two parties as the equal friend of each. So prayer, it's got a very relevant, relevant point, you know, to be an intercessory prayer. But it is far more than that. It is not just, if you just leave it at prayer, you miss half the word. You, if you look at Jesus' intercession, I know the Bible says that he's on the right hand of God where he lives forever to make intercession for us, true? But if you think Jesus is just praying for you, <laughs> you've missed it. Maybe one of his greatest acts of intercession was to become a human being. To become one of us to pass between two parties, heaven and earth, humanity and deity, as the equal friend of each. He's the, great, the moment he was born was the greatest act of intercession mankind had ever seen. And then trace that right through to the cross where he gave his life to reconcile God and man, passing between two parties, as the equal friend of each. And here we see it in Nehemiah where it's like he is interceding, but don't, don't think just praying. And we're going to see this next week. We can't get to there this week, but he's about to take his life into his own hands on behalf of others. 
a true act of intercession. And when we see this, if we can be inspired by this and moved by this, it just begs the question, in my circle of influence, in the people in my world, how would God use me? How could I become a friend? And it could be as simple as two parties that are at odds with one another and you become the intercessor that brings them together. Or it could literally be between God and man and where can I bring something of the spirit of God and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ into my everyday world and everyday situations. Nehemiah speaks to us as someone who is just prepared to give it all, is moved by the needs of his nation and of his people, a place he had never visited. Moved by it. God paints a picture in his heart. Courage rises and he goes to task or he goes to work on behalf of both the people and of God. And don't you realise that's what Jesus has called us to be? Jesus said things like salt and light. You're going to be a preserving factor and you're going to give light wherever you go. Jesus you know, called us to be the Nehemiahs of our generation. Well, there's week one. There's the intro. How are you doing? You doing all right? Can I ask you some questions? Let's ask ourselves some really pertinent questions. Knowing this, what's our response? What moves you about the people around you and the state of our society? You know, I shouldn't have to ask it, but I probably should. Do we even get moved anymore? Come on, compassion fatigues, is a real, it's a real thing. There's so much need out there and there's so much pain at times that sometimes I think it's maybe self-preservation. We have to switch off or it would be just flat out discouraging. But can I encourage us to open our heart on some level? And what I would do is you don't have to think about the, the needs at the ends of the earth. Let's just think about the needs that are somewhere within our sphere of influence. Whatever we can influence, we should. This is actually leadership. I mean, Nehemiah is often used as a study in leadership. I'm using him as a study in vision and leadership. But don't rule yourself out for leadership. Don't go, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a position. I, don't, I have no desire to lead. Hey, listen, everyone's influencing someone, which means you're a leader already. So who are the people in our sphere of influence? that God could use us to somehow lead into, into a place of healing or towards healing. Second question is, would you commit yourself to praying about these issues and being open to God speaking to your heart? You know, this was the key. Don't just sort of see a need and go, oh, I've got to go fill it. Just would you be open to seeing something and then beginning to pray about it. So what I find is if I pray about a particular need, I begin to see it the way Jesus does. I begin to get God's eyes on it. Would you be willing in your circle of influence, no matter how small that might seem or how large that might seem, would you be willing to pray about the needs that you see and wait on God and just see whether he might give you something for that and use you in that? Next question is, can you, can you recognise any area where God could use you as the equal friend of two parties to bring healing and action or healing or action maybe 
You know, healing, it could be as simple as, I know, two friends that are estranged, it's ridiculous, it's gone on too long. God help me. God help me help people to reconnect. That could be a marriage you know. God help me, use me. Seek Him, pray, fast. And be used to bring healing, to bring life, to remove vulnerability and bring security. It could be just action, like who's someone that I need to bring together at a, a, point, a couple of parties that if we get a synergy going, we could really achieve something that would make a difference in people's lives. That's what an intercessor does. You know, we've got a modern term for it, it's called networker. But often the networker thing is, it's about me. Whereas for Nehemiah, it was about if I could just bring God and his people together, something amazing could happen in my nation. And then the last question is, uh, if you could do anything within your area of influence to change someone else's life for the better, right now, what would it be? Just someone right now, could you start right now and think is just, just someone, as you've been talking, Chris, I've, I've got someone on my heart or I've been thinking about a particular situation and I just want to encourage you, is there something you could do right now? Again, commit it to God, commit yourself to God, and then act. That's what we're going to look at next week. Courage and action, vision and action with Nehemiah. In Jesus' name. You okay? Very quiet, but I think we're just thinking, aren't we? Is that, we're not asleep? We're just thinking, great. Let's stand together and can, can I just pray for us? Father, I thank you for helping us to see help us to see the world the way you do help us to help us to see people around us even maybe situations that have just been ongoing and we've dulled down to them but actually there's need there and we could be an instrument of peace we could be an instrument of healing so I just pray Father that you would quicken our hearts that you would impress our hearts that you would by the Holy Spirit paint a vision of what should be in, in certain situations and relationships and scenarios that we're a part of, whether that's in the marketplace or in the place of education, in home life, whatever it is, Father, help us to see need and be agents of change within it. Come on, would you do that? Would you commit yourself to seeking God? God, how can you use me? Give me a preferred, a picture of a preferred tomorrow for this situation. Amen. Thanks, James. Let's thank Pastor Chris.